One of them was the Khalif of the Islamic Empire, and the other was the head of the Christian Church. They met to discuss and debate the differences between Christianity and Islam. And while this may seem like some sort of hypothetical thought experiment, it was actually one of many meetings that went on during the height of the golden age of the Abbasid Caliphate. I'm talking about the meeting between the Patriarch Timothy I and the Caliph al-Mahdi, which took place in Baghdad in the year 782 AD. And so today, when people are claiming to write books explaining what Islam thinks or what Christianity thinks and opening a dialogue, it may seem surprising to us that this type of dialogue was not only ongoing over a thousand years ago, but actually at a very high level. So today, we're going to look at one of the most productive and most famous encounters between Islam and Christianity, and that is the famous debates between Timothy and al-Mahdi. So please, stay with us. Okay, welcome back to the Golden Age of Islam. And as we have been doing in the past few episodes, we're looking at early encounters between Christianity and Islam. In many ways, this is fascinating because we look at how much more advanced the understanding was between the religions at that time than certainly what it would be later on and even uh, what it is in much of the world today. So this is one of the most important debates. It's well known between scholars, although few people in, in the public have heard of it today, which is you know, kind of unfortunate. Uh, some of the, the stereotypic uh, impressions we have of relations between Christianity and Islam uh, would probably be helped a lot if people were aware of this encounter which we're going to discuss. And I would just stress that this is not an unusual encounter at all. Um, it's studied a lot because it is one of the best documented, um, but these sorts of things are not at all unusual for the time we're dealing with, as we'll see. Anyway, this is the so-called disputation between Patriarch Timothy I of the Church of the East and the Khalif al-Mahdi, of course the uh, Abbasid Khalif and it took place in um, just 30 years after the founding of the Abbasid Empire. So we're talking uh, 782 AD. And as you know, this is really getting close to the golden of the golden age. If that really peaks with El Ma'mun, uh, we, are, we are right before that time. And this entire encounter is very useful to us today. Not just the ideas that were, are going to be explored, which quite frankly, are some pretty high-level philosophy. They're kind of hard for most of us to wrap our heads around. But just the nature of the encounter, and there's a lot of things we can include just by the way the interaction between these two men goes, the way they treat each other. Uh, and, okay, like a lot of historical events, there is some dispute whether it actually happened or not, 
and whether it was reported exactly the way it occurred. But it remains important because whether the actual encounter went off the way uh, it is reported or not, um, the documents, the reports of it, were popular at the time and were studied and discussed at the time. So we know this does reflect the way people thought at the time. But in any case, most scholars think that this, uh, this encounter uh, did actually occur. So who are these people we're talking about? Well, hopefully you remember that al-Mahdi is the third Abbasid Khalif. Now, if you've, if you've followed the episodes in this podcast, especially the early ones, you know what that means. But of course, the Abbasid Caliphate is really the state associated with the, the true golden age of Islam. Okay, it ruled from 750 to 1250 A.D., and while those uh, last few centuries it was really petering out, uh, certainly for the first few it was the strongest empire in the world and really the height of uh, scholarship, both in the sciences in, and in philosophy. And, of course, the capital was Baghdad, um, which was a, the planned city established by the Abbasids, famous for its uh, Beit al-Hikmah, the House of Wisdom, which was, I mean, the, um, the, the equivalent of a great library, university, think tank, and all of that rolled up into one. So al-Mahdi takes over uh, in the year 775, and so that's 25 years into the caliphate, and so it's still at the height of its power. Okay, and we're talking about a caliph who has a tremendous amount of power, um, not what the caliphs will become in future centuries, where they'll sort of be marginalized and at some points be figureheads. Uh, he's definitely not a figurehead. He's, he's the boss. And as was typical of Abbasid caliphs, uh, he was very well educated, very cultured, and in fact, this is, you know, part of his duties, he's expected to be this. And so al-Mahdi uh, runs these nightly gatherings in his diwan, in his um, little mejlis, uh, and of course, as we've mentioned, all you know, important, powerful um, rulers and, and officials in the Abbasid uh, Empire at the time did this. They you know, had gatherings of scholars and intellectuals and officials, kind of like what we call the salons in, in later in Europe. Um, but of course, the caliphs is, is the biggie. You know, being invited there means you're, you're a real hotshot. So the best poets, the best musicians, the top philosophers, the top scientists get invited there. Uh, I mean, right, there's, there's no TV, there's no movies, uh, you know, they don't have video games. So what do they do? They get together and they discuss. And so it's a social gathering, but it's also, you know, as, as you imagine of these gatherings, this is where a lot of power relations are established. Not just political power, but, you know, if you're a scholar and you've got great ideas about um, whatever, history, philosophy, optics, you know, you get invited there and you share your ideas with the crowd and they think, wow, you're great. This guy is just, a, he's the next genius coming up. You know, this is where you can really make your reputation. Now, of course, it's not just uh, Muslims who are being invited to these gatherings at all. Um, Christians are being invited, and among them is Timothy I, who was the patriarch of the Church of the East. 
Now, you may not have heard of the Church of the East, and that's specifically the name of it. So this is not the Eastern Orthodox Church, as we said in Christianity, as compared to uh, Islam at the time. There are a lot of different churches. There are a lot of different denominations out there who you know, do not consider uh, each other to be true believers. So this church is sometimes called the Nestorian Church, which is not really an accurate name, but that's the name that is used a lot. It's one of the early breakaway churches from the early centuries of Christianity. So it's going to break up before the Roman Catholic Church in the Eastern Orthodox Church really establish themselves. It's going to break off slightly before that, but it's it's um, one of the big churches of the time. Now, the Church of the East is the church in what, what was Iraq and Persia at the time, and of course, as you know, that is the heartland. That is the center of the Abbasid Caliphate. So think of it this way. Um, this guy, Timothy I, he's the patriarch, which means the head of the church. They don't call him a pope, but he's like the the head of the church for the Christians who are in the center of the Abbasid Empire. Okay, it says something, they have a patriarch, and he's not... He's not hidden. This is not an underground movement. In fact, uh, I mean, this guy is such a significant um, figure that he he gets invited to the caliph's palace. He hangs out with the caliph and all his scholars. He's he's a part of that group. Okay, uh, one of the reasons they split, though, was not so much. Uh, ideology and theology, or there was that. But if we remember, um, the the Byzantine Empire, which essentially is synonymous with the, the Orthodox Church, they were at war with the Persian Empire for, for a long time, for much of this time. Um, and that's before the Persian Empire was completely conquered by the Muslims. And so, um, because they were separate, the, the Christians who were in the Persian Empire... Uh, became the Church of the East, and it's sort of similar to the way the Southern Baptists split off from the American Baptists during the Civil War. Okay, and so anyway, so we're talking about a big church, but we're also talking about the most significant Christian church in the Abbasid state. Now, of course, um, I'm, I'm talking about the center of the Abbasid state. There is the Coptic Christian Church in Egypt as well, which is very important, and they are separate. So now the Church of the East is under the political control of the Abbasid Caliphate, and its headquarters is in Baghdad. So we, we do have to filter everything we hear through this, all right? This is this is not a guy who is like, you know, far away in Constantinople venting his opinions. Okay, so what does that tell us? Well, it tells us, you know, first of all, that there was a very vibrant church inside the Islamic empire. It tells us that it has pretty close relations with the caliph, uh, and, and this is, I mean, something that is not going to be unusual uh, throughout the history of Islam. And we also know that Timothy's visit here, the debates that we're talking about, came out of a series of other meetings he had at the palace um, with the caliph uh, before. So it's not a one-time thing. He's, he's a regular. They exchange ideas a lot. 
and they're following up on earlier discussions they have. Okay, so this is a good example of the treatment of Christians under Islam. Now, of course, this is the best case scenario. We know it's not always been like this, so we don't want to paint the relations between Christianity and Islam throughout history, you know, as, you know, either a, a uniformly wonderful thing or a uniformly terrible thing, the way some people make it sound. I mean, there are, <clears throat> there are good and bad, uh, and, and this is sort of the best case uh, scenario. Okay, this also means, though, that Timothy is going to know a lot about Islam. Okay, so you, we can't look at his opinions and his understanding of Islam and the Quran and assume that a Roman Catholic in Europe would have had the same knowledge. And in fact, it's pretty certain uh, that none of them would. So if you remember our previous episode, we had John of Damascus, who was a, one of the most, if not the most important, orthodox uh, theologian of his time. And he's, he's slightly earlier than uh, Timothy here. But John, even though he was living um, in the Islamic Empire, uh, he, he was a monk who lived outside of Jerusalem, didn't have the close contact that Timothy had. So if you remember, he called Muhammad a heretic, and he called Islam a heresy, and so forth. So uh, it is not to say that all Christians have the same understanding of Islam that Timothy does. In fact, if amongst Christians, he's going to be one of the best informed. Okay, uh, so... Timothy also uh, is probably writing to a different audience because, remember, Timothy's entire church is within the Islamic empire. And so, I mean, he makes the caliph sound really great. And in fact, I mean, if you read the way he talks about the caliph, it's, I mean, it's, he's pretty much doing the kissing up that anyone would have to do when you're talking to, a, you know, an, an emperor of the time. Uh, John, if you remember, he did live within the, uh, the Islamic Empire, but he was an official of the Orthodox Church, most of which, in the headquarters of which, was located outside. So, okay, the audience is a little bit different. It is speculated by historians that Timothy probably intended his text to be written by both uh, for both Muslim and Christian audiences. And so he gives a pretty even-handed account, right? He's not saying where, you know, one is better than the other. And, of course, uh, there is tolerance for Christianity, but proselytizing and converting Muslims to Christianity is definitely not allowed. And so, I mean, Timothy is not writing up a, a report that says, hey, look how I won this debate with the Muslims. Okay, so he's, he's presenting both sides. Um, and, you know, he's, he's just giving a report of what was said. And, of course, it's Timothy who is writing this. Okay, and so he's writing it after the fact. So we, I mean, we don't know it's an it's an exact transcript, but it sounds it sounds pretty accurate. Okay, and so possibly he intended this document to be like an introduction to people, you know, for differences and similarities of the faiths. Okay, right. So you have the, today a lot of debates 
on YouTube, for example, between uh, atheists and Christians and atheists and Muslims, where, you know, they're really tearing each other apart. Uh, that's not what's going on here. I mean, this is not a uh, polemic. But he, also, he's not caving in. If we read uh, what Timothy says, he, he's, he shows a lot of respect to the Khalif, but then he says, well, no, you're wrong. This is the way it is, right? So he's he's not going to cave in and say, okay, yeah, 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 Khalif, you're the boss, whatever you say. Okay, so um, that's all introduction. Uh, why else is this uh, important for us to study today? Uh, because Timothy belongs to a category of Christians who have a particular view on Islam at the time which we would say is uh, that Islam was kind of a preliminary evangelism or a preliminary Christianity. Okay, so there were a lot of different reactions among Christians to Islam. How do, how do we deal with this new religion that has uh, sprung up really fast, right, which has conquered a huge empire uh, very fast, how do we deal with it? So there are those who say this is heresy, this is the devil. Uh, there are many, and in fact, the, the largest uh, group of writers writing about Islam say this is paganism, even though it's clearly not pagan, uh, but they, I mean, they don't know what it is. Uh, but Timothy belongs to a category, which was significant, um, that had a lot of thinkers in it that said that, okay, what Islam is, is sending out the basic message to the pagan Arabs. And they, they are looking at Islam as primarily being directed to uh, the Arabs of the Arabian Peninsula. And, and we know this, that during the Prophet's lifetime, uh, he begins by preaching to I mean, the tribes in Mecca, the tribes around Mecca, and then eventually he's communicating to the Christian empires that are around him. So they, these writers are focused uh, primarily on spreading the news of God, of monotheism, to pagan Arabs. And as we heard last week, and as you've heard me say a million times, right, in Mecca they had 360 idols, right? So there was a lot of paganism. And so... Um, the way Timothy looks at it, and the way a lot of people looked at it, particularly people who were very close to Islam at the time, who, who lived under it, said, okay, what Muhammad's doing is he's bringing the first part of the message. Uh, you have these people who believe in pagan idols, and so Muhammad is calling on them to get rid of their idols and worship the one God, the God of Abraham, and that's it. Okay, uh, and then later on comes the rest of the message that, okay, about Jesus, about the Trinity, you know, the second coming and all of this. And so what they're saying is, hey, you know, don't, don't look at Islam as a threat. It's like, it, it's sort of like a basic sort of monotheism for pagans. Don't worry about it. Now, this, of course, does, does not match with the teachings of the Quran, which, you know, clearly... Um, are rejecting the idea that Jesus is the Son of God and, and so forth. So, I mean, it, it isn't really a position that you can defend very logically, but it's the way that a lot of people uh, looked at it. Okay? So, and in fact, it, 
just to point out, at, at one point in this debate, the Khalif will ask Timothy about it. He'll say, okay, well, if that's true, um, he, he asked Timothy, okay, well, who do you think Muhammad was? And, and Timothy says, well, I think he was definitely a messenger from God. He was bringing the message of God uh, to the pagans. And the Khalif says, okay, well, how come he didn't tell those people about Jesus, about the Trinity, if you believe that's true? And Timothy's response is, okay, basically you have to take baby steps. I mean, he doesn't use the term baby steps, but we would call it that. I mean, you don't, you don't introduce the whole thing to everyone at once. And so it's like, okay, look, they had 300-something idols. First you get them down to one god. That's a big step. Let's not rush things here. And that's the main argument of his school of thought. It's very much an accommodation, okay? It's a tactical concession. It really, it really runs into trouble pretty quickly. Okay, because obviously the Quran is very much aware of the previous scriptures. It makes lots of references to the, the Old and New Testaments. Uh, it says in there very clearly that God does not beget and is not begotten. Okay, and, and there are even direct teachings in the Quran about people making up lies about the son of Mary, meaning Jesus. Okay, so, um, I mean, there's the teaching that Jesus was not crucified, someone else was crucified in his place, and so therefore we don't have a trinity. So, I mean, what Timothy's saying doesn't really hold up, and I mean, of course he knows this, he's familiar enough with the Quran um, to do that, but... I mean, essentially what he's saying here is, look, you know, we agree on most things. Let's celebrate what we agree on and not push that much. And, I mean, this is very common today, uh, particularly in places where we have large Christian and Muslim populations living together, uh, like in Egypt where I lived uh, for a while. This is the attitude, you know, I, I would say that the typical Egyptian takes, whether they're Christian or Muslim, okay, we, we agree on... Most of the basics, uh, we, we disagree on some points about the nature of Jesus and so forth, but we agree on so much, let's respect each other. That's where Timothy's coming from, and uh, the Khalif has no problem with him. Okay, now this is a very different approach uh, than the other views of Islam that we saw. I mean, and this is certainly not what you're going to hear if you go to Rome or uh, Germany or Spain at the time. Okay, so there are a lot of different opinions on um, why Islam and Christianity are, are different at the time, but most of them are seeing it as a heresy. Timothy's looking at Islam not as, definitely not as a heresy, but the way we would look at different denominations within a religion. All right, so if you're a Baptist Christian, do you agree with everything Presbyterians say? Well, no, there's a lot of things about them that you don't like and great on you, but they're, they're basically fundamentally correct. That's the way we're doing it. Okay, now, before we go on to the specifics, I think it's just important to note that this sort of mutual tolerance was there from the beginning, Right? And, and, you know, we talk about it today like we've discovered something new, you know, religious tolerance, like this is this new 20th century idea. Um, it, it was there from the beginning. And think about the fact that the Khalif, I mean, he's like the most powerful guy on earth right now. 
Uh, I mean, he certainly has the power to have Timothy locked up, to have his churches closed down, and so forth. I mean, he has that power. That would go against the teachings the, of, of the religion, and so he'd get a lot of flack for it. But that's that's not what he's going... And he's not trying to do this. He's having an open dialogue, um, and he's, he's letting this be published. Okay. So now let's get to the actual disputation between these two important figures, these two leaders. Okay, and so the occasion is that um, they had a previous discussion. The caliph had asked Timothy a bunch of questions. Um, and so Timothy went back, did his research, and he's been called up to explain certain questions about Christianity to the caliph. And of course, this is... This is very typical of something al-Mahdi would do. He would ask questions to astronomers, to philosophers, mathematicians, and, and so forth. So, I mean, this is not like an inquisition where he's being hauled in for questioning and has to defend himself. This is like, I mean, this is, this is the way uh, they did things. And, and if you're the caliph, you can call in any expert on any subject you want. You want to have a discussion about math, you bring in the top mathematician and ask them tough questions. Okay, and from what we, we see here, um, pretty much uh, El Mahdi can, can handle some pretty, pretty deep, complicated stuff. Okay, so the specific things he wants to focus on is the idea of the Trinity, the Christian belief that God is one, but in three persons, the uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, which is, is seen in Islam as being polytheism, being three gods. So this is the issue he has. How can this be? How can you say that this is? Um, and uh, Timothy's going to come back, and they're, they're going to discuss this, and really, when you read the the level of their discussion, it's some it's some pretty involved um, philosophy and also logic. And not much of it is about well, our our scriptures say this; it's true because you know Moses said this or Jesus said this. Um, really, the level that he goes with and that the caliph answers back is on logic. How can three be one and still be one? And so it's almost like even if you'd never heard of these religions before, you would be able to follow this. And so they're, they're going to make it primarily a discussion about logic. And very interesting, it's clear that they both have the same rules of logic. Uh, and, and of course, logic was one of the most important subjects um, in the empire at the time. It was like you needed to learn this. And of course, it's coming from Greek primarily. Uh, you needed to learn this before you could go on and study anything else. And so when they make references to principles, it's clear that these two guys both understand the same rules of logic, which is, I mean, today listen to a political debate and that's not the case at all. Okay, but it's also interesting, though, and, and I have to 
uh, point this out as an aside, it also demonstrates that uh, logic is really not impartial, as much as they make it sound like it. So, so uh, Timothy will get up and say, of course, according to the rules of logic, ABC, this is why I'm correct. And the Khalif will say, well, no, according to the rules of logic, da-da-da, no, I'm right. And you can see, you can use completely logical um, reasoning and come to two completely different conclusions. So just because an argument sounds really objective, mm, not necessarily. So let's get into this, the actual transcript. So the Khalif starts off, he says, Do you believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? To which Timothy answers, I worship then and believe in them. Okay, so he's not hiding his beliefs. He's not trying to dissimulate or anything. He says, not, do I believe? I not only believe in them, I worship them. And, I mean, he has no fear of saying this to the Khalif. So then the Khalif goes on. Aha, you therefore believe in three gods. Right? This is like courtroom logic. Aha, you admit A and B, therefore you must admit C. Now, Timothy, of course, is going to say these are one God with three names. Now, the word is very tricky here. And it's extremely tricky because they're, they're debating in Arabic, right? And so if I say, you know, one God with three names versus one God in three persons, that sounds very different, uh, particularly because we know in Islam, God is said to have 99 names, so that should be no problem. Um, so it sounds like Timothy's being a little bit weaselly here, but he's not because um, in their language, the word for name is also the same word for noun, and it also can mean thing. Okay, so the English translation, he's saying, um, yeah, I believe in one God with three names, but really he's saying I believe in one God with three, three beings, three things, three entities. So he's, he's not being um, as, as wimpy as it sounds. But then Timothy's going to make it very clear. He says, he gives the example of the sun, and in this case, S-U-N, meaning the the star at the center of the solar system, not the Son of God, right? He says, uh, the sun has heat and light. So you have sun, heat, and light. Three things in one. Okay? Now, uh, Timothy is entering into what would become a big debate in Islam. And he probably knows this. But it's still early days at this time. I mean, this... this um, uh, controversy is really going to heat up in future uh, generations, especially with under the Khalif al-Ma'mun. But how we treat concepts like, quote, God's mercy, God's wrath, in terms of a unified God, becomes a big issue for Islam um, in, in the uh, upcoming centuries. But even at this point, uh, Timothy knows that this is a, a weak point uh, for Christianity, right? He, uh, excuse me, for, for Islam. He knows that this is one of the points they struggle with, and so this is what he's going with. So, so you have a sun. The sun has light. The sun has heat, right? It's all one sun, so we can talk about the sun's light, but it's still part of the same sun, just like we can talk about God's sun, S-O-N, God's Holy Spirit, it's still all part of the same God. 
Now, as I said, this is going to be a big uh, issue for Islam. And how do we deal with God's attributes? Quote. Okay, so uh, when we say God has mercy, does that mean there is a part of God that is his mercy, that's different from his wrath. So he says, God has mercy, God has wrath, God has wisdom, God has love. Are these all separate parts of God? Well, that would be a problem because uh, we believe in one unified God. Uh, And if you start breaking God into pieces like that, well, it's not all that different from what the Christians are doing, which uh, we believe is wrong. Okay, so... Um, this is the way Timothy is going to uh, attack it. But even at this point, this doesn't really convince the Khalif, because, okay, that's not the same thing. I mean, you're, you know, it's one thing to talk about God's mercy as as an attribute, uh, but you're talking about Jesus as the Son of God, and he's got a separate body. He walks around, he eats dinner with people, he walks on water, he goes fishing, Right. Okay. I mean, you, you're talking about a real separate entity. Okay. We're not. We're not talking about you know God's mercy going around having dinner with people. That one doesn't get very far with the Khalif. So Timothy goes to another analogy, and uh, this one will make more sense in the, in the um, context of the time when, of course, the Khalif used to dictate words to a scribe. I mean, nowadays you have word processors, right? Um, but what happens when the Khalif wants to send out a message? Obviously, he doesn't write his own messages by hand. Uh, this is, you know, one of the perks of being a caliph, right? So you get a scribe and you tell them, hey, take a letter. Okay, write, write down this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so the caliph, uh, he produces the words. He says the words with sound. But the caliph's words end up on parchment in ink, and obviously, they're separate from the body of the caliph, right? The caliph is over in Baghdad. Um, the parchment with his words on it could go, you know, all the way to Mecca. So there's still the caliph's words. This is why you have to obey them. Oh, you get, you get a, a scroll with the caliph's words. You better do what he says. So obviously, the, the ink versions of your words are separate from you, but they're still yours. Okay. So the Khalif says, okay, are the word and the spirit not separable from God? Timothy replies, no, never. As light and heat are not separable from the sun, also the word and the spirit of God are not separable from him. And of course, Timothy is making reference to the fact that Jesus is called the word of God. And and this is in the Gospel of John. In fact, this is, this is the way the Gospel of John starts off. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So Jesus is identified as the Word of God, or Logos, in the original Greek. And so again, Timothy's being, um, 
he, he's being pretty smart because he's tapping into another big controversy in Islam. And this is really the biggest controversy in Islam during the Middle Ages. Uh, and, and this is one that's going to lead to the, the, basically the Inquisition under Ma'mun and, and people being arrested. Uh, and, and this is the question, is the Quran, which is God's word, a created thing, or is it co-eternal with God? And, and again, well, the, the reason that Muslims debate this is because they, wanna, they don't want to fall into what they see as the same pitfalls that Christians did. I mean, Christians had a God, but then they had all this stuff. They had God's Son, God's Spirit, God's Word, you know, God's throne, God, you name it. And, well, we don't want to be like that. We're going to have one God. Okay. And so... If that's the case, then what do we do about God's word, right? The Quran is God's word. Uh, was it created in time when God spoke it? Or if it's God's word, is it eternal like God is? Uh, this leads to the Mu'tazilite school, which we have discussed at great length in earlier episodes, which now is considered a heresy, but it would become the official doctrine of the Abbasid Empire. That's a little bit ahead of us. It's not that far ahead of the time in which Timothy's uh, living in. But again, he's hitting on what he knows to be a weak point in Islam that the Muslims themselves haven't quite worked out. Okay, and, and again, he's, he's looking for, okay, you accuse me of this stuff. And so I'm going to look for something in, in your doctrine that kind of comes close to it. And he's being very clever because he's talking about the Word of God. And, I mean, the, the Halif used that term also. But the fact that Jesus is referred to as the Word of God and the Word made flesh, Jesus most definitely had a body. He was flesh. He walked. He talked. But he's using that term, and the, and the word he uses, kalima, here, is where Islam is talking about actual words that are recited and heard and put on a page. And so he, he's using that overlap to sort of put the caliph in a difficult position. Now what we see here is that Timothy understands his opponent very well. Okay, unlike, say, John of Damascus we talked about, right, who, who even in what we read from John of Damascus last time, he was making a lot of mistakes, right? He was referring to... Uh, books of the Quran that don't exist. He was making references, saying the Quran said stuff that wasn't actually in there. And, you know, like a lot of critics, he's accusing Islam of stuff that it doesn't say. Timothy knows. He, he knows what he's talking about. He's very familiar with this, and he, he knows exactly where to go with this. So the Khalif says, though, in response to this, uh, the idea that your, your words are, you know, get written in ink. He says, but my words are temporary. They vanish. Okay, he points out Jesus has a body. That's a different thing, right? I speak words. They're gone. Jesus, Jesus had a body. Uh, and this is where Timothy says, okay, but humans are not the same as God. You can't compare human words to God's word, even though he just did it you know, a minute ago, he, when he was giving an example to the caliph, he said, what about your words when you dictate them? 
And, and, and Khalif says, well, it doesn't work that way with my words. He says, yeah, but that's because your words and God's word are different. Okay, so now uh, what they're doing, though, is they're, you know, they're, they're trying to take concepts that they both have and compare them to each other. Okay, when you, when you say words, you mean the same thing as when I say words and so forth. So we don't get any resolution on this exchange, but we can see how, I mean, th these two guys are really trying very hard to understand each other. Really, I mean, this is this is a level of theological um, exchange that you know we don't see much in the world. I mean, I, I listen to a debate between a Christian and, and a Muslim on, on YouTube. I mean, it doesn't get anywhere near close to this level of of mutual understanding. Okay, so anyway, they go through that. They don't they don't get any resolution, um, but you know they sort of agree to disagree. And then they come to what is probably the most interesting exchange of this entire discussion. And this is on the nature of numbers. And they're, going to, they're talking about the Trinity and how God can be one in three, right? Uh, Al-Mahdi says, sorry, one is one and three is three. One can't be three and three can't be one. Uh, Timothy says, oh, yeah, they can Okay, and, and this is the way he puts it. Now, um, if you're into abstract philosophy, and I am definitely not, uh, then please have a philosopher explain the nature of numbers to you, uh, and whether numbers are the only absolute reality or whether they're unreality, and, and, and you will understand why you're not an abstract philosopher. It gets really, really... Uh, in depth and uh, to the point of where I, I usually, you know, don't care at that point. Okay, numbers numbers are useful for things. That's about it. But having someone have a philosopher discuss the nature of numbers to you, and it's really wild. It's like an American trying to figure out, you know, what on earth is going on in cricket. I mean, I, I have no idea, and I am certain it's beyond my conceptual powers to understand. Uh, they go to a stadium and they play for like three days straight and I don't get it. Okay. So similar thing here. Anyway, these two guys really get into this. You can tell they are, they are really, really in their wheelhouse here discussing the nature of numbers. So Timothy puts it this way. This is how you can have one in three, how God can be both three and one at the same time, and that's not a contradiction. He says, quote, one is the cause of three, O king, because this number one is the cause of the number two, and the number two is the cause of the number three. That is how one is the cause of three, as I said, O king. On the other hand, the number three is also cause of the number one, because since the number three is caused by the number two, and this number two by the number one, the number three is therefore the cause of number one. End quote. Uh, hopefully you got all that. Okay, what, what on earth that means... Um, you know that's that's really hard to understand, but uh, the the point is in in their in their debate, you know they 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 just get right into this, and the caliph just fires back, aha, no, and they just go back and forth. So I mean, the the point here is this is the level at which these guys are comfortable discussing. Okay, um, you know when 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 I hear 
a discussion like I mean this is something you'd hear in a comedy movie where you know everybody gets you know confused I think what he means to say is you can't have number two without having number one okay I'm, I'm not talking about in the bathroom sense there okay right uh, there's no such thing as two without one, all right? To have two apples, you have to have one apple, right? Uh, to have three apples, therefore, you have to have two apples, okay? Da-da-da-da-da-da. And therefore, um, he's really using, uh, he, he's getting into semantics with the word cause. And so he's really being... Um, playing fast and loose with the word cause. So when he says the idea that one causes three to exist, he means that you can't conceptually have three without having one. Um, and then he, he turns it the other way around, saying cause. Now, of course, there are many, many different nuances of the word cause. What do we mean by cause? Okay, the, the, the way that one causes three to to come into being. This is a very loose definition of cause. He's going to sort of slide and say, okay, that's the fact. If you have one, then it naturally causes three to exist. If you have three, it naturally causes one to exist. So, wow, my goodness, if you have one God, then you must have three at the same time. It's just natural. Now, you know, I'm, I am not a philosopher by trade. Um, I'm, I'm a language teacher, actually, by trade. Uh, that's what my degree is in. So a lot of times, I think a lot of philosophical arguments are really just language arguments. They're about semantics and syntax. And this really seems like one of them uh, to me. They're, they're playing on the meaning of the word cause. Okay, I don't think that description that Timothy gives really justifies the Trinity. Now, the Khalif doesn't either. So he is going to respond uh, with what is probably the natural response to that argument. He's going to say, okay, why not four or five? And, and this is sort of funny. Uh, Timothy, after having given this you know, really abstract philosophical thing about one causing three and three causing one, and then the, the caliph says, okay, how about four or five? And he says, quote, in every comparison, there is a time at which one must stop, end quote. Like, okay, well, don't take it too far. Yeah, one, one, one causes three, but, you know, does one cause 127? Oh, okay, come on, don't, don't push it too far. Okay, so in, in this exchange, it sounds like the, the Khalif, you know, really wins. He, he comes out ahead. But, I mean, who was, who was going to base, uh, um, you know, their religious beliefs on uh, something like this? It's, it's, a bit, it's a bit hairy. Okay, well, continuing on, hopefully you've <clears throat> become quite uh, interested in the nature of numbers and whether three causes one. Um, like I say, it's sort of inconclusive, but I, it does show to me the respect, sort of the mutual respect that these two have for each other, you know, and the, the level at which they address each other. And, you know, the Khalif doesn't say, no, you're wrong. He says, well, what about this? Well, you know, this is where we stop. Okay. All right. So to get to more less abstract things, uh, the, the Khalif says, quote, what do you say about Muhammad? 
Okay, very interesting. Okay, what is going to be Timothy's uh, view on this? Uh, he says, quote, Muhammad is worthy of all praise by all reasonable people, O my king. He walked in the path of the prophets and trod in the track of the lovers of God. All the prophets taught the doctrine of the one God, and since Muhammad taught the doctrine of the unity of God, he walked, therefore, in the path of the prophets. His prophets separated men from idolatry and polytheism and attached them to God and his worship. It is obviously that he walked in the path of the prophets, his word, finally Muhammad taught about God, his word, and his spirit, and since all the prophets had prophesied about God, his word, his spirit, Muhammad walked in the path of all the prophets. Who will not praise, honor, and exalt the one who not only fought for God in words, but also showed his zeal for him in the sword? Okay, and then he goes on to compare uh, Muhammad with Moses and with Abraham and so forth. It's quite a long description that Timothy gives, and as you could sense from that, there's a lot of um, repetition in it. But it's very interesting to note that here we have the the patriarch uh, Timothy in the way he is uh, portraying, you know, not just the Quran, but the the wars, the battles uh, that were fought for Islam. He, he's seeing them as a as a a war for um, God and his word, which is showing, again, a lot of mutual um, respect. And even Timothy gets to ask questions of the Khalif. He says, well, then why is it in the, in the Bible, in the scriptures, there's so many references uh, to God in the plural, right? God uses uh, the plural. We, we made man in our own image. Who's he talking to? And the Khalif says, oh, this is a natural thing. You know, sovereigns do this all the time. We kings do this all the time, right? Um, and, you know, like the the queen of, Elizabeth, of England used to always, you know, we are not amused and so forth. Okay, so that's not a problem. Then um, Timothy even goes further, and this is really interesting. It shows you how bold he can get. Um, and, and how you know open the communication is between these two guys, um, that he says um, that even when the, the prophet Muhammad uh, is speaking, is being given the word, that he believes it's referring to the Trinity. Okay? And he gives uh, an example that was, is actually fairly common uh, for, you know, for the... As I said, not many Christians were well-versed in the Quran, but those who were, this was a, a fairly um, common position amongst them. Uh, referring to the, um, the beginnings of uh, many surahs in the Quran, as you probably know, many of them begin with three-letter combinations, and these three letters, known as the cut-off letters, um, are, are said to be uh, mysteries that... You know, no one knows the meaning of them, like the ta scene meme, and we just recite them as that. No one knows exactly what they're there for. There's some speculation about what those three-letter combinations are there for. Uh, Timothy is going to bring out the point that, okay, there are three in number. He says, 
Uh, he believes that these, in, in your book, he says, quote, in your book, your Quran, refer to God, his word, and the spirit. Now, why there are three different letters each time, we don't know. But he, he's going to go this far as to say, okay, I think even in, in your Quran, um, those letters which you don't know the meaning of, I think they refer to the Trinity that you're saying doesn't exist. Okay, this, this, is, this is pretty bold, all right? He's not just defending the Bible and his own beliefs. He's giving his interpretation of the, of the Quran, okay? Which would be an interpretation the Khalif would differ from. Uh, and the Khalif doesn't get mad at him. Uh, he says, quote, In what did impede the Prophet from saying this was so? That is, that these letters clearly referred to God, his word, and his spirit. Hmm? So he's, he's, he's not, you know, saying blasphemy, you can't say that. He says, okay, but why didn't he just come out and, and say that? Okay, uh, Timothy says, quote, the obstacle might have come from the weakness of those people who would be listening to such a thing. People whose ears were accustomed to the multiplicity of idols and false gods could not have listened to the doctrine of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or to that of one God, His Word, and His Spirit, they would have believed that this was also polytheism. Okay, This is the reason why your prophet proclaimed openly the doctrine of one God, but that of the Trinity he showed in a, quote, somewhat veiled and mysterious way. Uh-huh. Now, uh, again, right, he's really, really treading on some sensitive ground here because, you know, notice he's saying this to a Muslim. Uh, well, you know, how come, how come then he didn't just come right out and say that? He says, well, because, you know, he knew that some of the people who would be reading this wouldn't be able to handle it. Now, this could be taken as an insult, but of course, he's, he's here talking to the Khalif. I'm, I mean, obviously not you. You're a smart guy. I can explain all this things, all this stuff to you about three causing one and the whole thing. So, you know, uh, obviously that doesn't refer to you. But you can see where this would be, um, you know, somewhat um, uh, offensive, you know, if you went to talk to someone of another religion and say, um, you know, well, how come... Uh, how come our religious books don't have this truth then? Well, because they, they knew you guys couldn't handle it. Man, gosh, you'd get so confused. Right? He even said that people who were used to idols in polytheism would interpret the Trinity the wrong way. And you, Khalif, are not believing in the Trinity. You're not seeing it there. It's it's e you could see how very easily the Khalif could take away. Right, you you talking about me? Uh, but he doesn't, right? I mean they, they have this exchange, they go on, they talk more, they have future ex uh, exchanges and so forth. And so I mean they, they keep a very um, you know positive uh, positive relationship continues between them. Okay, and so after a you know a really long discussion, this goes on. <clears throat> it's about ninety pages in the in the written form. Um, of course, they don't they don't convince each other of anything. 
they still both uh, cling to their original beliefs. Uh, but finally, of course, because since the caliph is the boss, uh, we got to end on good terms with him. Uh, but the caliph says, we have hope in God that we are the possessors of this pearl, and we hold it in our hands. And the pearl, the pearl is you know, the pearl of faith. And he says, uh, Timothy says, amen, O king, but God grant us that we too may share it with you and rejoice in the shining and beaming luster of the pearl. God has placed the pearl of his faith before all of us, like the shining rays of the sun. Everyone who wishes can enjoy the light of the sun. We pray to God, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, to preserve the crown and the kingdom and the throne of the commander of the faithful for multitudinous days and numerous years. And it goes on, and he says, you know, more and more wonderful things about the caliph. Uh, but again, even Timothy, as this uh, Christian, uh, leader of the Christian church, acknowledges that the caliph is the commander of the faithful, and you know, may we share in it with you. And he's talking very much about the pearl of faith and seeing God's will done on earth. May we share it with you. So they, they end on this... Um, you, you know, mutual mutual respect, this sort of love fest, and that's the way it ends. And so we have here any any document that is, I mean, it's not obscure. It was quite popular at the time and is well known to scholars, but is almost completely unknown to the rest of the world. Um, you know, this example of mutual respect and tolerance and religious freedom, uh, but also uh, the, the fact that both sides can assert their beliefs. They're not caving in on their beliefs. They're not sacrificing anything. They're sticking to what they truly believe and accepting each other and, and ending with the idea that we all share in this pearl uh, together. Um, this, of course, is not going to be the way much of the history is going to go. We're going to have crusades. We're going to have uh, religious wars, and a lot of bad things are going to happen. Um, but the idea that this sort of, uh, you know, mutual understanding, which is something we would associate with, you know, the, the 21st century, was going on back in the in the 8th century. Um, is is really quite amazing, and we can look at that as you know it's both a good and a and a bad thing of you know sort of the the trajectory in which things have gone. But anyway, this is another look at Muslim Christian understanding, and just to point out, I probably should have said this earlier, um, but. Just to note, you know, we're not taking obscure figures here. John of Damascus was probably the best known and most respected of Eastern Orthodox uh, theologians of his time. Um, Timothy is the patriarch of, of the Christian church in the empire at the time. We're not talking about obscure uh, people. We're talking, this is the way leaders actually uh, saw it. And so that gives us a good idea of some of the variety of opinions that existed on both sides. So this has been uh, another of our looks at early Muslim-Christian interaction. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us. We hope you will continue to join us in the future. We look forward to seeing you. 
thank you again. Shukran, Jazilin, wa ma salama. Thank you.